that there be a, a strong anointing on the word. But we ask you that you would allow me to, uh, that you would speak through me your words of life under a mighty anointing and in the glory of the Lord. And we ask you that the Holy Spirit will just be released out through all that are listening, all that are live streaming, and those that will be hearing this later, maybe driving down the road or whatever, that the Holy Spirit there be an anointing uh, to help all of us to, to be captivated, to give the Lord our best ear and our full attention, you know, to have eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, anoint our eyes and ears and help us that there's no distractions, but we're, we're focused on what the Lord is speaking and to be able to get out of this everything that you want us to, that we would be good, fertile soil in our hearts and minds and our lives for the word of the Lord. And speak through me, Lord, like living seeds of truth, the parable of the seed and the sower, that those seeds go out in the good soil of hearts and minds and lives and families, be watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. And we agree together, we bind the enemy that would try in any way to steal the seed or hinder. We bind you in the name of Jesus to get off and away from this word. You will not hinder it. But Lord, allow the precious winds of your Holy Spirit to carry this everywhere it's supposed to go and your angels to watch over it. Lord, we thank you for it now in Jesus' name. All right, so regarding revival warnings, when heaven and earth collide, there is a spiritual warfare. Last week I dealt with um, just revival coming down in an awesome way and how God is calling us to go deeper. And how many are hungry to go deeper? I mean, last, last sermon I preached... I felt just this this fire burning in me, and I, I know that some of you felt it. There's just a hunger to go deeper, a call to go deeper. And there's always, God always has a remnant that's willing to go deep. Now, I'm going to go over this fairly quickly, and this is a subject I'm really comfortable with, so I don't have to, you know, be stuck with notes and things. But I'm going to move through it quickly, so I trust that everybody will take these notes home and pray over them, really look over them, Okay. So one of the things that will come in revival, if you do a study on revival, you'll see that down through history, every major move of God that has ever been that I know of, almost, I would say 99% of them, with the exception of very, very few, have started with just a small group of people. And the reason why is because it took the Lord kind of trimming it down to a, a small group of people that were really willing to go after him with all their heart and unify and when they came together in unity and they prayed, they consecrated their life, God responded. And it broke through to where literally, um, at times, whole regions, sometimes whole nations were impacted by what God did. And we're going to see that. We're going to see it here in America and other places around the world. What came through the late 80s and through the 90s up until around, I don't know, 2005 or so, that was a major wave of revival that swept our nation, swept you know, Canada, uh, Central and South America, swept through Europe, went into Africa and other places. It's powerful. But I believe that we're about to see a much greater revival. And so I'm trying to get everybody ready because when revival comes, it is really something that is so powerful that if you're not ready, it could really affect people in a negative way because they're not prepared for what's to come. And we, I've been working really hard to get people ready in multiple areas. We got, um, I've worked very hard to have discipleship ready in other areas. So anyway, so one of the things that will come in revival is supernatural growth. It's like things trimmed down to a smaller group, but when revival breaks out, 
Then all of a sudden, the Lord says, cast the net on the other side of the boat. And you've been fishing all night for, you know, I say all night. You know how that is. For years, you've been fishing, catching very little. But all of a sudden, it's a supernatural harvest. You know, Steve Hill's favorite scripture, and whenever I was with him, he gave me some books and, and signed them and talked to me. And he's really, he's really sweet to young ministers. He had a heart for young ministers. But his favorite scripture was out of Psalms, I believe, and it said, those that sow in tears will reap with joy. And if you go out sowing seed, you go out, you know, with the weeping and the, the intercession, then you'll come in rejoicing with the sheaves being brought in, see. And that's exactly what we're talking about. It's a principle of sowing and reaping. Here we are right now doing a lot of prayer, and we're doing a lot of sowing in prayer. But there will come a time when the Lord responds, and he says, cast a net on the other side, and we'll give you your harvest. And it just comes in. And when God comes down like that, it is going to produce an incredible harvest. Um, I'm telling you, at Brownsville, I've, I've never seen anything like this. But people would would run. I mean, you could tell that these people, by the hundreds, and I've seen the hundreds, it's an exaggeration. Every night, they would stream down the aisles by the hundreds. Uh, they, you could see they were weeping. They would, they would collapse in the altars. Some of them ran down there. You could tell that many of them came from a sinful past. But it was beautiful because you would see somebody that obviously looked like a prostitute. But then you would see somebody else that was in a suit and looked like an, a, a businessman. And you see somebody else that was obviously Jewish. Or you see somebody else that looked like they were homeless. You know, And it was like this eclectic group. But God was just drawing them. And they would run down and you would hear the sounds of the lost, the heathen, in the presence of the Lord like that, and you would hear the weeping and the wailing. Many of them didn't know how to pray, and some of them couldn't even move. They were just they, they were in a position like a fetal position, were just groaning. And it was the power of God that came down so strong and, and drew them in. And down through history, we see things like that. And God's about to do it again, but greater. All right, so some of the things that, you know, might happen it depends on you know obviously what god wants to do but in revivals what you have to understand is is that the heavens open and it's like heaven invades earth and so when that happens things supernaturally are going to happen do you remember how in the bible jacob's ladder i may remember that and jake jacob had, had gone through uh, i don't think he did it deliberately but he he ended up on his journey to Laban's house, he ended up in Bethel. And it was in Bethel that his grandfather Abraham had built an altar and really prayed there. There is something about tapping into those wells of revival. That's what's happened in times past. But Jacob ended up in a place that somebody had opened up a well. Somebody had gone before him in prayer and got the heavens open. You all hear what I'm saying? Jacob didn't mean to, but he ended up in that place, lays down, has a, you know, a rock for a pillow, and I mean, knows you're going to dream dreams if you're trying to sleep with a rock for a pillow. And he's there, he's there sleeping, and he said, it says in the Bible, rather, that the, there was this ladder, and he saw angels ascending and descending, and you know, he heard the Lord speak to him, and he said, man, this is the dwelling of the Lord. And this is the place that God dwells. And, you know, Jesus, when he came, he told Nathaniel, you're going to see the heavens open over me, angels ascending and descending. That's very similar. 
But the point is, is that heaven began to invade earth, and Jacob had an encounter with that. He saw angels, he saw a ladder, but there was something there. And when God comes down in that way, there's been places where, where people have had like gold dust or some kind of gold show up, and it was really the Lord. Or they've had some kind of gems, uh, you know, maybe rubies or something show up, and it was really the Lord moving. Um, also, people have seen angels in revival. Uh, man, I've, I've seen several, that just, and I'm sure others have too, just you can see the angels moving and doing things, but um, I don't talk a lot about that because they want Jesus to get all the focus and glory. Amen. And that's important. Don't get, don't get people's focus on those things too much. It's okay to mention it, I guess. But, but also Holy Spirit manifestations. And it, the more that things amp up, you know, I know some people come from backgrounds that coming into River of Life, it just seems like it's, wow, what's going on? You know, because you know, we've seen s- some things like this. But when revival really is full on, these manifestations will amp up big time. Now, here's some Holy Spirit manifestations, things like speaking in tongues, obviously, in the Bible. But falling under the power. I've mentioned these in previous sermons, but I just want to show you that there's many scriptures. You know, when Jesus... When the guards came to arrest Jesus and John, they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he. But really, in the original, I believe it just reads him saying, I am. Now think about that. How did God reveal himself to Moses as the great I am? But Jesus said, I am. And when he said that, it says that 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 group of military soldiers fell and collapsed under the power. The message there is when Jesus is glorified and he's revealed as the I am. Okay. Also, Saul of Tarsus, you have the heathen. Saul was, you know, on his donkey, riding with papers from the Sanhedrin to go um, imprison Christians. And he had an encounter with the Lord. The Lord appeared to him. It was a bright light. What happened? He was thrown to the ground. And so these things definitely are in the scriptures. You can see many places where the glory of the Lord was so strong in the Bible that people could not stand. I'm reminded of um, in the temple, even in the Old Testament, the glory of the Lord came into that temple when Solomon was doing all those sacrifices and the priest could not stand to minister. So when the glory of the Lord comes in, sometimes people will collapse under that glory. Let me tell you, God can get a hold of people. There was a quick story at Brownsville there was a lady that had come to the revival and she got saved and they, she came out of a very sinful past. Her husband, she said, was probably one of the most hard-hearted people. And he had an alcohol problem. I believe, if I remember the story right, that you know he would take like some kind of a upper in the morning and then take something as a downer at night to sleep. He, he um, just drank pretty much continually. But he was actually a very successful businessman, believe it or not. And when his wife went down to Pensacola and got saved, she contacted him to come down. And, you know, he didn't know this, but she had enlisted a group of people to really pray with her and fast that he get saved because she was concerned. She said, he's really hard. And he comes to the revival, and and I know some of you haven't been there, and it's hard to explain, but in the revival, whenever Steve gave those altar calls, I'm just telling you, you, you could not just sit there. If you, if, even if you were saved, you felt like you really needed to make sure. I mean, seriously, you felt that way. 
They, it was like an invisible suction pulling you down there to get right with God. It was strong. Anyway, they had, he got there. He had a bad attitude. In fact, on his way there, the, the roads were closed, and he thought she got mixed up in some cult or something. And, and these cops told him, said, look, there's a blizzard. We're closing the roads. And he was mad. He said, I don't care. My wife's in some cult down there in Florida, and I'm going to get her out. And he just took off, and they said, well, it's your life. And so he got down to Pensacola, got there, goes in, and his wife says, look, if you'll just sit here with me through the whole service. And they were down in the front. You know, I'll, I'll leave you alone after this. So she was putting all of her, uh, everything she had in this service. She was really praying. And he, he had a bad attitude, and he told her, he said, look, I'll sit through this whole service. I won't say a word. I'll sit here through the whole thing. And afterward, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear about it again. And so he sat there, and she was praying, and the altar call came. All these people ran down to get saved. They're right in front of him getting saved. And, and he just sat there, and she, she thought to herself, dear Lord, you know, if he's not going to get saved now, this man may be beyond it, you know, <laughs> she was thinking. And so she was just praying, and... They all these people got saved, and he was he was ready to leave, and he stood up. <clears throat> and Steve had come down; others had come down to pray for people. Because at the end, they go through and lay hands, pray for everybody wanted. And Steve came down and just in passing saw him, said, "Hey, how you doing?" And did like this to shake his hand, and the man just shook his hand. And as soon as their hands connected, the everybody there said that the guy was thrown approximately ten feet backward. He was in the air flying backward, landed on his back, and was down for a long time. And um, in fact, I've heard this story multiple times. It was in the documentary, but, but Steve brought it up to me when we were talking. He was telling me about it. And that man got up saved. It reminded me of Saul of Tarsus. He was thrown to the ground, but how did Saul get up? He got up a believer. <laughs> so... God can break through the hardest hearts. He can save people you would have never thought could be saved. And these are times of visitation where the Spirit of God comes down. Like remember me telling all these stories. They're not necessarily in our sermons, but I tell stories here to stir up your faith. Remember I was talking about the revival in Ulster, Ireland, when those, the, the Spirit of God came down and those school kids. And pretty soon the schools were packed with people getting saved. It's just a holy visitation. All right, another thing is deliverance from the demonic, even in church. Um, things like jerking people's bodies, shaking or trembling. You, you may see some of that in revival. I've seen people. There was a little boy. Some of you guys will remember this. A family came, and they, just, they, they live in another city. They just came to get touched by God, and we, we took them out to go witnessing to show them how to witness. And they came, and they had a little boy. I would say he was six, maybe, something like that. And we went through praying for people and prayed for him. That little boy fell out under the power. And I remember I was praying for other people and I looked back. And little kids don't stay down like that for long. But he was down under the power for a long time. And his little body was shaking so much under the power of God. I was just watching his little body just shaking under the power. And God was doing a work in him. I'll tell you something. God can do something in a child that will affect the rest of their life to serve the Lord. Um, you'll see things like that. Maybe people going into a, a biblical type trance. You remember Peter? Peter went into a trance and he had that vision of the sheet coming down. And the Lord said, kill and eat. He said, I've never eaten those. And he was talking about, obviously, the gospel going to the Gentiles. But many people, Mariah Woodworth Edder's meetings had a lot of that. People just go into some kind of a frozen trance, have an encounter with God. Um, 
you may you like shrieks. Um, in Philip, remember in the Bible, was preaching. It says that demons came out of people with shrieks. Um, you may hear people groaning and moaning and wailing, like I was talking about earlier in the revival. Um, some people don't even know how to pray. Oh, they're just groaning and, and, and they're wailing before the Lord. You may hear intense weeping or intense laughing. It's funny. I've had that. We've had that many times. We'll be here and we'll hear somebody over here laughing their head off, somebody over here bawling their eyes out. But when you're in the presence of God, you know, God's doing a work. Amen? Deep bowing. Um, obviously, laughing, I already mentioned. Being still and solemn. Uh, being drunk in the Spirit. Now, we've had times where people had to be carried out. Yeah, seriously. Had to be helped to the car. And it's It's awesome. Also, visions and dreams. People will have visions. Uh, in revival, I remember at Brownsville, there was a little girl that tears were just flowing. Her little shirt was soaked with tears. And the pastor said he heard the little girl. Because she stood there for a long time, just froze like this. She was weeping in the presence of God. And tears had come down so much that her little blouse was soaked. This is a little girl. And you guys all know little kids don't stay in one spot like this for very long. She stood there for a long time. She was weeping. And her mom looked down and saw her and said, you okay, man? And she said, yeah. She said, Mom, don't you see the angels holding hands in the ceiling? People confessing their sins, even openly, and getting things right with God. You're making things right with people. You'll see things like that in revival. I heard some really despicable things and I've done some despicable things I'm sure you have too but I've heard it in Brownsville and the, the you know they would have those water baptisms and people got up there and man they would share they would share that you never knew what they were going to say major healings major miracles remember me telling you about another one I don't know why I'm on Brownsville tonight because I know a lot about other revivals but it's just on my heart remember me tell you about that guy that had part of his hand blown off in Vietnam by a grenade a grenade had come in, in where he was, and he had some, obviously his buddies there. He grabbed it and tried to get rid of it, and as he did, it blew up and blew part of his hand off. And he was there, and his his wife just started screaming. I mean, they, here they are worshiping the Lord, and the glory comes in really strong. His wife starts screaming hysterically. So the pastor looks down there and said, my goodness, it better be an emergency. You know, he runs down there, and he said he caught the end of it, but he saw, he said it looked like this, going back and forth. He saw that hand grow out, fingers and fingernails form, and he saw the end of it. And when he saw it, he said he started screaming with the wife, you know. But major healings and major miracles, things that you read about in the Bible will happen in these times. Why? Because God comes down. His presence and power comes. My main heart about why, why do you want to see revival so much? For two reasons. One, there's a harvest that that's the only way they're going to get in. Let's just be real. We can keep witnessing to them. But when the Spirit of God falls, they're going to get saved. And number one, we need a harvest of souls. I have a heart to see that. Number two, um, Christians need to get back on fire for God. They need to quit being backslidden. They need to get their life right and really be hungry for the Lord. Those are the two reasons why I want a move of God so much. But when revival comes, here's about three things I want to cover real quick. Number one, you simply have to test the spirits to make sure everything's of God. Because there are counterfeits. Now, you cannot throw out the baby with the bathwater. Just because there's a counterfeit, as a matter of fact, you can't have a counterfeit something 
without there being a real. Because there won't be anything to counterfeit. It's like if there wasn't such thing as a dollar, how would you counterfeit a dollar? So there has to be a real for there even to be a counterfeit. And so Satan has a counterfeit to everything because it produces a lot of confusion. But God did not leave us defenseless. He just said you need to test the spirits. And there, there will be people, leadership in the church that should have discernment to know if it's of the Lord or not. Now, some of the people, my wife, you know, people would have her testimony coming out of the occult. She'll tell you, unfortunately, we love these people and we know some of these people. But many of them, I would say most of them, because all they ever knew was the counterfeit of the devil, when they come into the things of God, many of them reject a lot of the real because they're afraid. You see what I'm saying? And so they're letting the devil win that battle. You don't throw out the baby with the bathwater, man. You, you know, you, let me give you an example. So Dr. Cho, you guys remember him out in Korea? There's a huge church there. Great revival was taking place. And they, they were a people of prayer. I mean, they would have, um, they bought a mountain, okay? And they went up there and, and hollowed out these sections all through the mountain where they have little rooms where people come pray. And I don't know if it's still this way, but it used to be that any given weekend there would be thousands of people up in there. They're praying and fasting, seeking God. And I mean, it really broke things open in Korea. Well, Dr. Cho, they have all the gifts at work, a lot of healings, a lot of things going on. And he said that there was one time that there was a lady there that was prophesying and people were lined up and she was given accurate information, but he said he had a funny feeling in his spirit something wasn't right. And he noticed that she, she was uh, giving, it was like negative words, it just seemed really negative, didn't feel right. So he went home and prayed about it and the Lord told him it's a counterfeit, it's a familiar spirit, that, you know, have her stop. So he went to her and told her that and told her you just need to stop. And, and, you know, his heart, like any pastor is, if you'll submit to authority we can help you get on the other side of this you know and god can use you later (laughs) but that's not the way it works most of these people my wife will tell you they get offended and they turn against you and leave like this lady did but you know after that dr cho she left the church dr cho didn't get up and be like you know what guys there's no more prophecy in this church again that's it we're not doing it no more revelation no we're just shutting it down right he didn't do that you can't throw everything out that's of God just because there's a counterfeit here and there. You discern the counterfeit, you deal with the counterfeit, and move on. Amen? And your greatest enemy is fear. I have more faith in God to keep me than the devil to deceive me any day. But the Bible says, Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So Satan does have counterfeit gifts, counterfeit power. Um, counterfeit revelation and you need to examine the fruits since you know brownsville's on my mind tonight there was kind of a counterfeit move so before the revival broke out he had heard there was this guy that was traveling and ministering and he had heard really good reports from friends and colleagues so he thought he was just so hungry for revival he thought well i'll have this guy come you know because everybody was telling him it was good and when the guy got there, he didn't know him. And so he told him, he said, listen, after you preach, give the mic back to me. And we'll see how we'll go with the service. Well, the guy gets up there and he brought a huge group of people. I mean, it was probably 25, 50 people came. And they all sat in the front. And um, this was back during the revivals, like with Rodney Howard Brown and all that. So there was a lot of laughter going on. and um, it, was, it was powerful. I mean, Rodney's meetings were awesome. But he said that 
these people, it was like they, in the middle of his sermon, they were just snickering and some of the laughing seemed kind of weird and some of them would stand up and fall down for no reason. And anyway, as he was preaching, he just felt very uncomfortable in his spirit. He knew that this was like not a real move of God. And some of his discerning people had already gone out in the foyer. And he got up and the guy was done and he got up to get the mic because he told the guy, give me the mic. And the guy just took off down and started hitting people in the head, you know. And so he had to get up there and tell them, say, look, this, this is over. I feel the Holy Spirit's grieved and we're shutting this down tonight. I want the altar worker, I mean the uh, ushers to come through, sweep the aisles. And those people got mad. And they went out in the front and they were talking about throwing rocks at the glass doors in the front and everything. And it was just, it was a confrontation with something that wasn't real. But see, that came right before real revival. And, and because he discerned it and drove it out, the people saw um, his leadership and followed with him. And then it wasn't long after that until Steve came and a real move of God broke out that, you know, four million people came through and it changed um, people's lives all over the world. So you just need to discern the counterfeit and deal with it. Amen? All right, let me move on. Infiltration. This is dangerous. The Bible says in Acts twenty twenty nine. I know Paul was talking to the church here, and he said, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. So everybody read that again. Savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. He was prophesying that. Jesus said that there would be people that were false prophets and false teachers that did not, they're not really of the Lord, and that there would be wolves in sheep's clothing. You guys remember reading that. So a wolf in sheep's clothing is an imposter. And the Apostle Paul also brought out in Corinthians how Satan masquerades like an angel of light. So Satan pretends to be a good angel, if you will. And he said this, he said, and it's no... No mystery then that his um, servants, Satan's servants, would masquerade as servants of the Lord. And so we do know that there are people that just simply are not of God. And you have two categories. You've got people that are infiltrators that know what they're doing. They serve the enemy. They're Satanists or whatever, witches. And they go into a church pretending to be a Christian to try to destroy from within, and it's very deliberate. you got those group of people. But then you've also got people that are actually Christians that just got serious issues, like Jezebels. And they come in, and they can cause a lot of problems in the church if you don't deal with them. So those are two areas where the enemy loves to try to bring something in. Now, we personally knew this, and I share this because this is actually very common. A lot of people don't realize this. But Sandy and I knew a lady... They got saved under Sandy's testimony. If I'm not mistaken, she still lives in the Dallas Fourth Metroplex where we keep up with her. We're Facebook friends with her. But her whole family was deeply involved in Satanism. Deeply. She grew up her whole life. And there was a very strong coven there in East Texas where we lived. And she said, you know, she was telling us about there was some of the police were involved in the coven and um, they had a doctor that would do things off the record. Like, for example, if a, a child was born and then it was killed later, um, it was off the record so nobody even knew. And she was telling us about all this. And she said that she was personally trained as an infiltrator to go into a church. And she attended, the whole time she was a Satanist, she attended a local church there pretending to be a Christian and was never questioned. 
Some of these people that have come out of this life of being infiltrators have said that before they accepted the Lord, they attended local churches. And they said, some of them have said, I taught Sunday school. I prayed for people. I counseled people. And the whole time I was a Satanist and I was doing this to try to destroy the church. Where's the discernment? Amen. Hello. We don't need to be letting that go on. And so that's why the Bible gives us the warnings in Scripture that you're not to be just indiscriminately laying hands on everybody. A pastor needs to, to go through a checks and balance and make sure that we know their life. I mean, you guys don't want your wife, your little child or something, having somebody like that lay hands on them, do you? And you certainly don't want your family sitting under somebody like that in a Sunday school or whatever, teaching them from the Bible when they're actually not even a Christian. This stuff goes on a lot more than what you think. I was a part of a church that grew really fast. It was huge. And I was um, in a, a form of leadership in that I was endorsed and sent out from the church. And I really believe this took place in that church. I have no doubt. I saw people there. I felt very uncomfortable. I tried to talk to the leadership. But people, people tend not to take these things serious, even though it's in the Bible. That's the thing. And I don't understand how they can read this in the scriptures and then not really take it serious that there really are wolves in sheep's clothing. There really are Satan's servants masquerading as, as Christians. But anyway, here's what they try to do. These type of people will try to come in and establish a profession of faith and pretend to be a Christian. They need to look like a Christian. And so they're going to do that. They're going to come in and say they got saved, you know, whatever they need to do to make you think they're a Christian. Number two, they're going to try to build some kind of credibility in the church by being faithful in their church attendance. They're big givers. They'll be active in things. But do you know what their number one goal is? To destroy any prayer base in the church. Because if they can get prayer out of the church in that church I just mentioned that I was a part of, prayer got dismantled there. They had really powerful corporate prayer but they allowed it to be dismantled and removed. And that's the beginning of the end. A praying church is a powerful church. Jesus said to make his house a house of prayer. So whenever you start neglecting prayer, I mean, you're really opening yourself up to problems. Number four, they're taught to try to spread rumors and sow discord and sow rebellion against leaders. You, but you also see that with the Jezebel spirit as well. They want to be teachers and they want to be altar workers so they can pray for people. They also want to break up family units. We have really a heart. I've always had a heart for children's ministry. I've always had a heart for youth ministry. And we do things um, just for them, okay? But, you know, it's also important that families worship together too. And they want to keep their, uh, this big division. I've seen in a lot of churches where I was at, and some of you may relate to this, but it seemed like the youth and then the adults, like there was a huge chasm between them. And I mean, it was like they couldn't relate. The adults didn't take them serious, didn't let them do much of anything. And the children, the youth, I mean, they had no respect for the adults. And there was this big chasm. And so Satan's trying to break up the family units. All right, and another thing is, Satan will try to stop through these people... Stop all teaching that exposes Satan and gets people delivered. Did y'all hear that? 
they don't want teaching going on in the church that will expose the devil and defeat the devil. And this is a big deal. Because a lot of churches won't teach in a way that gets people delivered and exposes the enemy. Another thing is just straight up direct attacks of the dark arts. They'll start praying against them and releasing witchcraft against leaders and church members, which can result in confusion, sickness, strife, lust, paranormal activity, and difficulty praying. They may try to come late at night to pray, you know, do some kind of weird ritual inside the church or on church property. They may leave something behind as a point of contact somewhere in the church. And that's why it's important to have prayer in the church. Because prayer is going to block that garbage and destroy it and, and, and dismantle what Satan is trying to release. And if a pastor and leaders will come up and pray at the church like I do, you can just clear anything away anyway that needs to be cleared away. But I think it's common sense to make sure you're careful who has keys. Or another thing is, the, these type of people are going to feel uncomfortable with the communion table. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Most churches don't take communion very frequently. You're looking at maybe a couple times a year. They just won't show up. But when you're like River of Life and you take it every week, okay, it's going to be noticeable. But they do not want the communion table. They feel uncomfortable with it. And they, you know, some people may say, well, maybe they'll try to take it mockingly. It doesn't work like that. Not here it don't. So they will try to avoid it. The second thing is, we need to have intercession in place. I'm going to tell you something, that our intercessors are also prophetic. And you, God gives visions, He gives dreams, He gives revelation, and He will expose that garbage. So that's the thing, if you have prayer, and you have things like they're supposed to be, where you have the gifts in operation, people pick up on it, they discern it. God's given us everything that we need to be victorious. We just need to use it. But here's what happens. A lot of churches, there'll be a counterfeit, and so they throw everything out. They don't want any revelation. They don't want anything in their church. Then those type of people infiltrate. They don't even know they're there. So God wants us to make room for the true prophetic revelation so He can bring warnings and protection. All right, I'm going to move to my next point. But y'all please remember that. Because I can't get up here from a pulpit and air everybody's dirty laundry that I don't agree with. So there's going to be times that somebody mysteriously disappears. Because pastor confronted them. And now they're mad. But I'm going to tell you that I don't agree with everything. And it, it, there, has to be, um, there has to be things biblical. And when people start getting unbiblical and start causing discord or whatever, or these type of people come in, you have to be willing to confront that. All right. Revival warnings. Be careful who you are following. How many knows not everybody knows where they're going? I had a, a pastor I grew up under. I've mentioned this before, but I, I grew up under his ministry. And when these great revivals were breaking out in the 90s, you know, he contacted me and told me to stay away from them. That they're not of God. If I would have listened to him, I would have missed revival in my life like he did. And we would not be having what we're having here right now. So you need to be careful who you're following because not everybody knows where they're going. Not every Christian minister knows what they're talking about. 
Now, Jesus said in John 14, 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, he, he who believes in me, the works that I do, shall he also do. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. So think about that statement. Jesus said that, that we will do greater works than he did. So during the great revivals, I'm just, this is like point three, I'm going to go through it really quickly. But during the great revivals of times past, people that were men of the word, there are people that were well respected, but they missed the move of God. There was a man by the name of G. Campbell Morgan, and he, he was a mighty man of God. And listen, he was touched at the Welsh revival. But the Welsh revival and the Azusa Street revival were very different. And the Welsh revival was a lot like maybe Hebrides or Ulster. The Spirit of God came down and, and people were repenting. The Azusa Street revival had a dimension of the baptism in the Holy Spirit in tongues being restored back to the body of Christ. And it was a major revival. But G. Campbell Morgan was a, a biblical leader, a teacher, a minister. He was a man of influence. Y'all hear what I'm saying? A man of influence. And he had been touched in Wales. But while the Azusa Street revival broke out, he looked on at Azusa Street and he called it the last vomit of Satan. Those were his exact words. Now you think about this for a minute. How could a man of God say something like that? How could it be a man of the word? Listen, you can be a man of the word and still miss a move of God if you're not careful. R.A. Torrey, which I have one of his books, and he's, he was a great teacher. But he looked on at Azusa Street. And see, we all know now Azusa Street was a major move of God. We all know. I mean, history is clear. But during that time, people persecuted the move of God. Just like they always do. And R.A. Torrey, who was a minister, a man of influence, said about the Azusa Street revival, it was just a bunch of insanities worthy of a madhouse. So be careful because... in Every generation, God, when he sends revival, there's going to be people that rise up that are critics of that revival. They may write books. Uh, they may be preachers and teachers or whatever. And they use their influence to turn people away from it and say it's not a move of God. And they criticize. That's happened in every generation. You've got to understand, Finney was persecuted. You have to understand that Wesley was persecuted. Wesley, the reason Wesley preached on the streets was because he originally went to his father's um, old church that he pastored, and he thought, well, surely they'll receive, you know. They wouldn't let him preach there. The churches turned against him. So he wasn't allowed in the pulpits of the church. He said, well, fine, I'll go to the streets. And thus we have the first great awakening. All through history, God has moved a great power. So I want you just to look this way. I'm going to read this real quick. But Jonathan Edwards, you guys remember the first great awakening. It happened right before our Revolutionary War. So the mid-1700s. Wesley was, and his brother Charles were mightily touched by God through the Moravians, remember that? And Whitfield got touched by God. And Jonathan Edwards preached that famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. His son-in-law Brainerd who went to the Indians. It was a time of visitation. The Spirit of God came down, I believe, as a response to the Moravians' prayers. And here's what Jonathan Edwards wrote historically about what was happening in his meetings. He said 
that they were people that had already previously been Christians, and he called them something like the older lights. That was his words. And many of them did not like the move of God, and instead of calling it the, the, the Great Awakening, they called it the Great Clamor and made fun. Whereas the other people coming in to get saved, he called them the new, new or younger lights, and they loved the move of God. But during the revival, here's what was happening in Edwards' meetings. This will sound familiar. He described the Holy Spirit's activity at First Great Awakening as this, and I quote, and this is like reading King James when these guys talk, okay, so bear with me. Ready? When God did, as it were, suddenly open their eyes and let into their minds a sense of greatness of His grace, the fullness of Christ. Because here's what was happening. They were under the weight of sin. They, they were weeping and wailing that God forgive them. They were sinners, okay? And when they realized that they were accepted and now forgiven and they were Christians, this is what he's talking about. He said they saw the fullness of Christ and his readiness to save them. Their joyful surprise caused their hearts to leap so that they have been ready to break forth into laughter. He's talking about laughter. Tears also at the same time issuing like a flood, weeping uncontrollably, loud weeping. It was a very frequent thing to see a house full of outcries, meaning people shouting out real loud, faintings, people collapsing under the power, convulsions, people shaking under the power, and such like both with distress and also with great admiration and joy. Many remaining, perhaps for a whole 24 hours, motionless trances, as their senses were locked up, but in the meantime, under a strong imagination, as though they went to heaven and had visions of glorious and delightful things. It sounds exactly, I mean exactly, like every revival that you read about in church history. I believe that when the Apostle Paul said, I come to you in demonstrations of the Spirit's power, I believe these same things were happening in the early church. All right, mid-1700s, John Wesley recognized falling to the ground as it must be a manifestation from God as the, he records many such instances in his ministry. In fact, George Whitfield criticized Wesley for permitting the phenomena until it started happening to him. You know, Whitfield's up there preaching. It's like, you know, they kind of competed, which they shouldn't have. We're all on the same team, okay? And Whitfield would be criticizing Wesley. Yeah, all these people falling down and stuff. Here he is preaching. There they are falling, you know. And then it started happening in his means, which was probably Jesus up there going, okay, I know how to humble you, buddy. And then the mid-1800s, the second great awakening happened. This was right before our Civil War. Charles Finney. And he had an intercessor named Brother Nash that would go before him and really pray heaven down. And his preaching was so powerful um, this awakening was very powerful and swept our land. It was God's grace before the Civil War, so I'm reading this. He was known for fiery preaching, calling sinners to repentance. It was reported that in his meetings, it was like waves of electricity of God's power would sweep through the meetings. People would fall under conviction, lay most motionless in a fetal position, have to be carried to the altars. Large areas would come to know Christ. So picture, Wes, uh, you know, uh, Finney comes, Brother Nash goes to a city. He rents a hotel room. People hear him up there groaning and travailing at intercession. Like, man, who's this guy, you know? Pretty soon, Finney comes to town, starts telling everybody they need to come to the meetings. 
And so they set up like these wood plank chairs everywhere. People start showing up. These are rough farmers and ranchers, all these different people. Finney starts preaching. The power of God starts shooting through there like waves of electricity. These people get convicted. Some of these huge men that are farmers and ranchers and just, you know, uh, strong, powerful men, they would sit there and go into a fetal position. They'd start weeping and shaking, and then they'd collapse on the ground motionless, couldn't move. And Finney had to have people that would go over there and help pick them up and carry them down to the altar and plop them down. And after Finney preached, and this kept happening, kept happening, and these people would come down to get right with God, he would go through to each one of them, look them in the eye, and lead them to Christ. Did you know that Finney was the one that originally, for the first time that we ever know of, that had altar calls? He was the one that started that. Also, go back 50 years to the Great Cambridge Revival. They met together to have a communion service. The, the heavens just opened. The power of God fell. I mean, Cambridge, Kentucky, 1801. It was so powerful that so many people started coming in, 20,000, 30,000 people. This is not an exaggeration. It was so many people coming to Cambridge, Kentucky in their wagons and on horseback and bringing their families that they actually had to call in the military to come to oversee it in America. Because there were so many people there. And the power of God fell. And I can't get too much into it, but let me just read to you what an atheist wrote. Because you're always going to have these type of guys. Some, guys was, some guy was a news reporter and came to make fun of the revival. And God got him, man. Listen to this. He, said, he wrote about this. He said, the noise. So he's watching all these people. All of a sudden, man, the power of God falls. People, you hear people, um, preachers getting up on like a tree stump or something. you know, And all through there. Because you're like 20,000 people. You have this preacher way over there climbing up on a tree, sitting on a tree branch preaching to them and they're getting saved you got another guy way over there standing on the tree stump yelling at them you know and they're getting saved and the power of god's so strong that people are collapsing on the ground they're shaking they're weeping all these manifestations we've talked about and this broke out and here's this atheist that come to make fun of the revival and he wrote this the noise was like a roar of niagara the vast sea of human beings seemed to be agitated like suddenly agitated like by a storm some of the people were singing, others were praying, some crying for mercy in the most pitiful accent. While witnessing these scenes, a peculiar, strange sensation, such as I'd never had before, came over me. My heart started beating tumultuously. My knees trembled. My lip quivered. And I felt as though I would fall down on the ground. A strange supernatural power seemed to invade the mass of, the mass of mind there collected. At one time, I saw at least 500 people swept down to the ground suddenly as if a battery of a thousand guns opened on them. Then immediately followed by shrieks and shouts that rent the very heavens. God scared this guy half to death, didn't he? Came there to criticize. But heaven came down. And that's when America started having what many call now, camp meetings. How many of you guys remember that in the Church of God? You remember camp meetings every year. They started with this revival. People would come and they would camp out. And, and God would show up in an awesome way. And it was, a, it was a powerful move of God. So I'm just showing you that down through history, God has moved in this way. Harvest of souls. You see all these manifestations. Alright, so let me give you now the last couple points here. 
biblical cautions, I strongly encourage you to take this list home and pray about this. Please be aware that in times of great revival, when God would move in a mighty way in the Bible, that you see these things come up. Number one, Satan will always try to divide. And I'm going to tell you that there has to be rules, there has to be a godly order, and there are certain people that are rebellious. You tell them, no, you're not going to be praying for people, you're not going to be doing this right now, we'll look out later, no. And then they get mad, and they want to rebel, and they want to start sowing division. You've got to watch out for division. Okay, don't allow yourself to become divisive. If you get your feelings hurt, go and talk to the person. I remember a pastor telling me that he broke people from ever coming to him, but whenever he was younger in the Lord or whatever, because if somebody came to him wanting to run another person down, he'd take them by the hand and say, well, let's go talk to him. Well, pretty soon they quit coming to him. If you start being like that, I'm not going to hear it. I don't, want, I don't want you talking about this person in the church to me like that. If you have a problem with them, go talk to them. Go work it out. See, Satan wants that. He wants this side mad at that side, divided, because God cannot bless division, and it will kill a revival. And a pastor has to be willing to deal with divisive people. Now listen, I must share this, and I want everybody to please hear me, because this may come up. I've had to do things like this before. It never got to the point of actually getting up in front of the church and having to publicly do it, thankfully. But Jesus said that when there's a problem, he said, go to the person in private and talk to him, Matthew 18. And if they'll listen to you, then you won your brother over. If they won't listen, then take witnesses and go talk to them. Try to work it out. But if they still won't listen, Jesus said, then you're going to have to take it before the church and deal with it publicly. And I, I've heard a couple different stories about this. I'm going to tell you that God, and this is at Brownsville, so let me share this because you guys know that a great revival broke out there. If they weren't willing to be biblical and deal with this stuff, there was a lady in the church that was spreading rumors and sowing discord and dividing God's people. And the pastor confronted her. And um, she said, well, I'm not doing it. She was lying because she did do it. And her husband just sat there like a whipped puppy, never did anything. And the pastor told her, I think you are doing it. It's, it's going to stop. We're not going to have people dividing the church. Well, she kept on with him. He, he went through this biblical process. It got to the point of having to take it before the church. And um, it just so happens that Steve was there when this took place. It was crazy. This was way before the revival. But he just happened to be there. And the pastor had to get up. In the middle of church, you know, you got hundreds of people there. And he says, you know, Bob, I want you and your family to stand up. And he said, I've went to you in love. I've tried to talk to you. I've talked, you know, we, we took witnesses. We've done everything we could possibly do. You're just not repenting. And at this point, um, you're no longer welcome at this church. You need to gather up your stuff and get out. And I want the you know, ushers to help them. And you're no longer welcome back. And Steve said he was there. He said it was like a black cloud came off that church. He said it was the weirdest phenomenon. He said he felt like a heaviness lift off that church as those people left. But see, if you're not willing to be biblical and deal with that stuff, do you want to be a part of a church that's all torn up and everybody hates each other? Do you want to be a part of a church where this group over here is, you know, talking about you and your family, running you down and all this stuff? God's not going to bless that type of garbage. It usually boils down to one or two troublemakers, and if the pastor will go deal with them, it'll kill the whole thing. Amen. You've got to be willing to be biblical. All right. Number two, during times of revival, remember David. 
great move of God through David's life. He took Jerusalem from the Jebusites. You know, he won wars, wars on every side. He brought the ark into Jerusalem. But you know, all of David's great victories and all that God used David, what happened? Satan slithered in with adultery. Y'all please hear me. As revival comes, don't allow the devil to get you into lust and sexual sins. Don't allow it. I'm telling you, it can kill what God's doing in your life and cause untold harm and damage. Be careful. Harness your passions. Renew your mind and be careful. If you're struggling with something, you need to come get prayer. Number two, when Moses, or number three, when Moses brought the children out, great revival, signs and wonders. We all know the story. I mean, the Red Sea split. A whole nation went through it, man. You know what? On the other side of it, it wasn't long until the children of Israel had made some, you know, you know that golden calf was the ugliest thing you've ever seen in your life. You know that Aaron was not some great sculptor, okay? They made this ugly golden calf, and what? They're saying, this is the God that brought you out of Egypt. They're dancing around it naked. They're doing the same garbage they just come out of in Egypt, and God was mad, and God sent Moses back down there to deal with it, but what happened in the midst of great revival? Deception. This is the God that brought you out of Egypt. And they started getting weird and allowing strange things to go on. Watch out for deception. Watch out for idolatry. That you keep your heart pure. The next one is rebellion against leaders. Like I said before, there has to be rules. There has to be order. Things have to be a certain way. But some people cannot come under authority. These type of people that are rebellious, as long as you're saying okay to their ideas, they're fine. But the day you tell them, no, we're not going to do that, they'll turn against you. They're also the type of people that, especially if it's a Jezebel, they won't submit to anybody. So they'll probably have a pastor, but they'll have other pastors, if you will. And if you say something they don't agree with, they'll go to somebody else and present it a different way to play everybody against each other to get their way. It's manipulation and control, but it's rebellion. And God, what did Satan do in heaven? Rebelled. What did Korah, Dathan, and Abiram do in the Bible? They rebelled against Moses, and the earth opened and swallowed them and their families down into hell alive. And God has a major problem with rebellion. Would we all agree with that? The Bible says rebellion is as witchcraft. So bottom line is, we all have to come up under biblical authority and submit to that authority, not be rebellious. Another one is witchcraft control when you're dealing with a Jezebel spirit in the church. Man, it can cause depression, heaviness, health problems, all kinds of division. That is a tricky and a vicious spirit to deal with. It's always trying to turn it back. It always wants to look like a victim and make the pastor look like the bad guy and try to turn everything around. It's weird. Or another one is evil men. So you've got to be willing to deal with rebellion, call rebellion down, deal with Jezebel's in control. Also evil men. Nehemiah building the wall, simply doing what God told him to do. Satan raises up Sanballat and Tobiah and others that were with them. And I mean the whole time, you should read the book of Nehemiah, the whole time they're trying to build the wall, Sanballat and Tobiah... They're sending bad reports back to King Cyrus to try to get um, the Persians to send a military to destroy Israel, saying that they're actually rebelling against Cyrus. They're, they're out there criticizing and making fun of them and mocking them day in and day out. And Nehemiah still builds the wall. 
does what he's supposed to do, goes out on a journey, comes back, and some goofy priest had allowed Tobiah to rent like an apartment in the temple. Nehemiah gets back. I imagine he had a temper tantrum. Let's just be honest. Okay, man of God lost it. Went in there, kicked down the door, grabs Tobiah, throws him out of the room. I'm sure gathered up all of his stuff, his CD, CD player and everything, right? Throws it all out, says, get your stuff, get out, and griped at the priest for letting him do it. Listen, we got to be careful that there's not evil people that are trouble. Y'all hearing me? Evil people that are trouble that want to slither into positions where they have influence. I hope everybody heard that. Not everybody needs to be an influence. The next one is betrayal. You've got to be real careful. The ministry, there's betrayals in the ministry. And there's a man named Gedaliah in Jeremiah 40 who is one of the leaders in Israel. And somebody warned Gedaliah, there's an assassination attempt coming. He didn't take it serious. Next thing you read, he's dead. Listen, we've got to be careful that, to take these warnings serious. God will send warnings. Take warnings serious. I take it serious when my trusted intercessors have dreams and visions and they come to me about things. I take it serious and I pray about it. Another thing is man worship. Gideon's ephod. Remember Gideon blew the shofar. Um, God, with 300 men, God used him to defeat the army. And he was you know, a great man of God. And God used him mightily. But then he comes back after the great victories and created this beautiful ephod and the children of Israel went and began to worship his ephod. You've got to be careful about man worship. It's very important that we give proper honor to people and we have proper respect and all that. But there's a difference between honor and worship. Worship belongs to the Lord only. So no matter how much God uses somebody, you need to honor them and honor that, but you need to only worship the Lord. Don't allow man worship. And some people, when revival comes, they just get silly about things. It's like they, the church becomes an idol. Even the revival becomes an idol. The worship music or different leaders, they become like idols. Be careful with that. The next one is love of money, Elisha. What God was doing in the earth, he was doing through Elisha. Elisha was an awesome man of God, had a double anointing from Elijah. Great miracles. I mean, saw somebody raised from the dead. But Gehazi, his servant, when Naaman came, Naaman comes from a, a heathen com- country, comes in, he's a leper, and he wants prayer from Elisha. And Elisha told him, go dip in the Jordan seven times, so he did, and he was healed. And so the Naaman comes back and wants to give Elisha this big offering. And Elisha says, I don't want your money. God healed you. Just go in peace. Be blessed. Well, Gehazi goes chasing after him behind Elisha's back to get that money. It reminds me of Achan in the Bible whenever God told the children of Israel, when you take Jericho, it, everything belongs to me. You know why? Because that was the first fruits. That was also the tithe. That was the first of ten that they were going to do. And God said, all that's there in Jericho is mine. Don't take the money. It's an offering to me. Achan goes in, takes the money. You've got to be careful that the love of money doesn't creep in and it get weird. So, church scandals. Make sure leaders, elders, leaders, that you're never alone with the opposite sex. Another thing is, we have this in place, but financially having checks and balances to protect everybody. We have 
different things set up to protect anybody from accusations. It's important that you do that. But let me tell you something. Revival, this is what I'm going to close with here. Revival comes because there's desperate times and people are crying out to God and it's the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of the righteous that makes tremendous power available, dynamic, and it's working at James 5.16. But it's that heart cry. And you're hearing that in River of Life, the groaning and travailing and intercession. But this is the last thing, and I close with this. You need to be careful for these four spirits. Watch out for Leviathan. Leviathan attacks the glory. Where the glory of the Lord is, Leviathan will come against that. Do you all remember Leviathan? It's a spirit associated with pride. And it brings a lot of destruction. When Leviathan's at work, somebody will get too big for their britches, okay? And they begin to really come up against the pastor. They, they'll be disrespectful, dishonoring, come against him. Um, Leviathan's a, an evil spirit. It's behind church splits. The Bible says, but by pride comes contention. Contention is strife and fighting. Can't get along, division. It's pride that brings that in. And that's what Leviathan does. It comes in to bring church splits and division. Jezebel, I've preached enough on this, you guys should know. But Jezebel, the Bible calls a Jezebel spirit a spirit of witchcraft. And a Jezebel will be a false prophet and a false teacher. Um, that spirit, that person, usually a female, but not always, will get counterfeit revelation. And they're very controlling and weird. You can't tolerate a Jezebel in your midst. You can't do it. It will destroy a church. Another thing is a religious spirit. A religious spirit will cause people to not want the move of God. They want legalism they want order they want structure and i'm talking about man structure man order they want things to be a certain way and it's like a wet blanket comes over and puts out the fires of revival you've got to have freedom in the holy spirit and the last one is python python is a spirit of divination it's a counterfeit revelation it works really strong with jezebel but it's a counterfeit. It brings in counterfeit dreams and visions and counterfeit revelation. You've got to discern that and kick that spirit out. Those are four spirits that Satan will try to send against revival and you've got to be ready for it. Because when Leviathan comes, it brings so much confusion. You'll say something and the person hears something totally different than what you said. It's like somehow there's confusion and strife stirring in its Leviathan. I know we want revival. I know people are hungry. That's why you're here. You want to see God move. You want to see people saved. But I'm telling you to please be ready. Because the spiritual warfare can get intense. And a lot of the warfare comes from people that will try to be used of the devil in our midst. And they'll profess to be Christian. Some of them might be, but they're trouble. They're either filled with Leviathan, they're prideful, or maybe they're a Jezebel. But these people that infiltrate, you've got to be careful with that. You remember me telling you at Brownsville that those witches would come from New Orleans and sit back there on the back and they'd be rattling their little rattles and trying to put curses on everybody. And, you know, the pastor there had voodoo dolls sent up there to him. And so they were being targeted with witchcraft and they were having people come in the meetings that were witches. And the revival went on. I mean, if you're, if you're going to have a place of prayer and powerful men and women of God, you'll plow right through that and keep going. But you better discern it. You don't want to take those type of people and all of a sudden now they're praying for everybody. All of a sudden now they're teachers. 
and allow that filth, that counterfeit stuff to come in your midst. You can't put up with it. And the Bible says, um, woe to those who all speak well of them. Because that's how they treated the false prophets in the past. Remember that? You know, we, we don't got to worry about that, do we? There's a river of life, not everybody's speaking well of us right now, let alone when revival comes. All right. We're going to pray tonight, but I really wanted to lead everybody in something. I want you to pray. I really felt this about pride. Because when revival comes, I don't want anybody to get lifted up with pride. It's very dangerous. Now, in dealing with pride, we're dealing with, obviously, Leviathan and other things as well. But pride is a root. And this... Pride, if it's a spiritual thing, which it probably is, y'all please hear this. It tries to distract you. You you want to pray and confess pride, but something all of a sudden is trying to distract you where you feel maybe rejected and hurt feelings with God. Or maybe you feel like I'm so unworthy and such garbage. That's that's Leviathan. Or you, you're distracted, all of a sudden some weird lustful thought or some somebody offended you and all of a sudden you remember this something that happened years ago. And it's like a game. It's a game Leviathan's playing with your mind. That here you are going to pray about something that's about to destroy his stronghold. And so he starts throwing all these things in your face to try to distract you. And if you're not careful, you'll get so distracted by these other things and you're praying about that. Oh Lord, forgive me for that thought. Forgive me. I forgive that person. And, and then you feel rejected by God and you feel like so unworthy. I don't know if I could ever really be forgiven. I'm just, and Leviathan's back here laughing. He's just steadily throwing stuff in your face. Just keep him distracted. Here's what you've got to understand. We don't go by feelings. We go by faith. And the Bible says, everybody say that, the Bible says. That's what you always have to go back to. The Bible says, if I'll confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And so it's not some huge, big, unforgivable sin or something. It's just like, Lord, I confess it and I repent. Forgive me and I believe I receive it now. That this sin is leaving my life. It goes to the cross and it dies there. It's no longer part of my life. But as long as people keep feeling in this Leviathan, making it feel like it's some great sin, they'll never be forgiven, they'll never change. It's some insurmountable thing. That's Leviathan playing with your head. So what I want us to do, because when revival comes and God starts using us in a powerful way, I don't want anybody to get lifted up with pride. I want us to pray. So I want everybody, if you would, really agree with me. I'm going to pray, but I want it to be exactly like you're praying it with me as one, okay? Lord, those that are hearing this, those that are live streaming, those that are here, and maybe people that are hearing this down the road as a recording, we come before you together, and Lord, we ask forgiveness before your throne room if there's been any pride in our thought processes Lord if we've um, the way we remember things the way we think the way we imagine things if there's been pride vanity Lord we ask your forgiveness right now we ask your forgiveness Lord if we've had a proud look on our countenance we ask your forgiveness if we've had pride in our eyes the way we see things and perceive things even like a critical eye that's downplayed other people Lord, we ask forgiveness. So the Bible says don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. But in the same respect, we don't need to think of ourselves as a piece of garbage either. That's false humility and that's pride. So we ask your forgiveness, Lord, where we've had false humility. 
And we've, we've um, had like self-hatred and downplaying ourselves and been insecure and all that. That's not right. So forgive us for pride in that area. But maybe pride also with our ears, the way we've heard things. Forgive us over there's been pride in our mouths and our tone of voice. It may be cause strife. Forgive us over we've had pride in our hearts. And Lord, if any way we've been judgmental, critical of others, we've been lifted up with pride, maybe spiritual pride because of gifts you've used us in. But we ask you to forgive us for all forms of pride in thought, word, and action. In our lives corporately, and everybody's agreeing with me, we ask forgiveness also in our ancestry. If there's something generationally there that's not right in this area, we ask your forgiveness. And Lord, we go before your courtroom right now, and the Bible says you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Lord, allow this now to be removed from our lives and placed on the cross. It's separated from us to die there. And that you wash us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I ask you before your courtroom to clear the judgments against us. If, if the accuser has set something in motion against us because of pride, maybe it's been attacking our health, our, our finances, our relationships, or something else, and it's been like something stubborn, something set in motion. And it goes back to this. Well, we ask you before your courtroom that you would clear the judgments and cases against us. Because the blood of Jesus speaks on our behalf in that courtroom that we are forgiven. We've confessed our sin. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. And we stand on what Jesus did at Calvary. And we stand on the promise of your word that we are forgiven right now in Jesus' name. And so we ask you to clear these judgments and ask you that the enemy be bound. This Leviathan and other spirits be bound in restraining orders against them. And let there be great restoration. What has been damaged, restored seven times better. What's been stolen, restored sevenfold. And what's been put in people's lives by the enemy, taking out everything out of order, back in order. Let there be divine justice, because the Bible says, when a thief is caught, he must restore sevenfold, though it cost him wealth of his house. We stand on the promise of your word, that this will be broke through. And now I close this prayer with this. I'm asking you, Lord, the Bible says that um, the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit of God lives in us. And I'm asking you that one aspect of the fruit is humility. I'm asking you, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit living in us, that there would be an explosion of humility shoot through us, Lord, in our thought processes, in our personality, the way we see things, the way we hear things, the way we act. Lord, that there would be great humility that will come forth like never before. That it won't have to come through testing and trials on the outside that are painful but rather it comes by the Spirit of God within us giving us humility. We humble ourselves and ask you for grace, that great humility fill us and help us, Lord, to walk in humility before you in the way we think and the way we act. We give you the glory and we thank you, Lord, for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.